Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. said praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. I'm living proof of what the mercy of God can do. If you knew me then, you'd believe me now. He turned my whole life upside down, took the all that he made it new. That's just what the mercy of God can do. Now I'm alive to tell the story how I've his goodness and mercy and the power of his blood I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done it's his goodness and mercy and the power of the blood Is anybody thankful for the mercy of God tonight? Thought I deserved to be six feet beneath the earth for all the things I've done, the things I've said, the choices made that I regret. Still be lost, but for the mercy of God, now I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome. It's His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome His goodness and mercy the power of his blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but the goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm thankful for the blood tonight.
can testify to that but it's his goodness and mercy and the power of the blood it's his goodness and mercy and the power of the blood and we sing what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. Sing, oh precious, oh precious. Is the flow that makes me white as snow? Oh, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood. Sing that last line again nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If you're thankful for mercy tonight, will you tell him? Thank you, God, for mercy. Praise God quickly to Mark the 12th chapter. I'll begin reading in verse number 17. Then I'll be going to 2 Samuel chapter number 15 and beginning in verse number 12. But Mark chapter 12, verse number 17, beginning reading one verse there. In prayer today, I felt a boldness come on me. And I knew things were stirring in the spirit realm. Whenever I begin to feel that, I know there's something happening. And I felt this word today as I begin to pray. Amen. We have to pray. Amen. And going directly to the word, Mark 12 and verse 17. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Going to 2 Samuel chapter number 15, beginning reading in verse number 12. And it reads, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Skipping down to verse number 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Amen. While I am an evangelist tonight, I will be moving into the role of a prophet. Will you lift your hands and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. And let's ask him to bless us and to anoint us to receive his already anointed word. Jesus, we love you. We ask that you'd help us on this midweek service to hear your voice. 
and to follow after your will. Thank you for your word, which is settled in heaven. And we thank you, Lord, for the spirit that we feel here in this place tonight. We give you praise and we give you glory. Turn to somebody and tell them, God bless you, and you may be seated. Thank you to this great church for your kind hospitality and all of your um, just kindness to me. It's so appreciated. I have enjoyed my time here with all of your great staff, with these great people. Thank you, Pastor Harvey, for allowing me to be in this great church. This is a great church. Amen. I was reminiscing earlier today. Not too long from now, I will celebrate my 30-something, none of your business, birthday. And I began to think back earlier today to when I was young, and I remember the gifts that I would get when I was young. And I remember longing for a certain gift and really wanting a certain gift when I was younger, and I had been hoping that my parents would get me that gift. And, uh, you know, as you get older, your gift preferences change. When you're younger, you don't want clothes or anything boring like that, but when you get older, it's like bring on the clothes, bring on the T-shirts, bring on the socks. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And I remember, though, when I was younger, I wanted a specific gift, and I was hoping that I would get it that year. And the day came, my birthday rolled around, and uh, the day finally came when I was going to unwrap that gift that had been given to me. I saw it sitting over there, and I went over and I opened the box, and there inside the box was the gift that I had been hoping for. And I was so excited because I had been wanting that gift for so long. And the day finally came when I got it, and now it belonged to me. It belonged to me. It was nobody else's, nobody else's gift, but it was my gift. And I let everybody know that it belonged to me. And nobody else was going to touch it. Nobody else was going to play with, it, with that gift. And, and I let everybody know that. And I had siblings, and so I went to great lengths to hide that gift from them. And I would go and hide it in the bottom of the toy box, or I would put it on the top shelf of the closet so that nobody would get that gift, and if you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about, and I, I, I hid that gift because it belonged to me. It didn't belong to anybody else, and now it was in my possession, and nobody else was going to touch that gift, and like siblings do, my brother found that gift that had been given to me that year had been, been a paintball gun, and uh, he found it, and he took the paintballs outside along with my paintball gun that didn't belong to him. It was mine. And I saw him outside playing with that gift. And like good brothers do who grew up in a godly home, we went out. I went out and we had a good godly discussion <laughs> about that gift that he was playing with that did not belong to him. But belonged to me, it was mine. It was mine. And that good Christian brotherly love discussion led to a good Christian brotherly love fist fight, which led to a good brother. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, some of you. You got siblings. And that led to a good, loving, brotherly love wrestling match. And in the middle of that wrestling match, because my brother had taken something that didn't belong to him, it was mine, we both heard the door slam at the house, and we both instantaneously became the most loving, kind brothers to ever walk the face of the earth. 
because we both knew what that door slamming meant, it meant we were fixing to find out who it really belonged to. And dad came down the path there and, and we found out that it really belonged to dad. It didn't belong to me. <laughs> it was dad. And we heard the parental lingo, you know, if you can't learn to share, then come back to me when you think you can learn how to share. And I might, might, might let you take the gift that you think belongs to you. And, and I found out that, that, that it belonged to my dad. And me and my brother would do a lot of things and and we would, we would go and we would want to conquer the world. And so we'd take, all of, we'd take all of dad's tools and we would take it out. We were going to build a fort so that we could conquer the world. And we were going to vanquish all of the enemies and we were going to go do all of these great things. And so we would go get dad's hammers and we'd go get his ratchets and we'd go get all the nails and all of dad's tools in the garage. And one day we were going to go build a fort because we had to conquer the enemy. And, and we, we went out there for about 30 minutes. We hammered nails into a tree we didn't know we were supposed to be hammering nails into until they came and told us later that it was illegal. But as we're hammering the nails in, we quickly got disengaged from that project and went to do something else about 30 minutes later and we left all of dad's tools outside that day and it just happened to rain that night and dad came out the next morning and found all of his expensive tools in the mud and we found out that day that our father was a selfish father and there were some things that belonged to dad you didn't mess with because they belonged to him. And there were some things that belonged to him. Didn't matter what your intention was. Didn't matter what your goal was. There were some things that belonged to dad you just didn't touch. And I began to think about that. And I begin to parallel my earthly father with my heavenly father. And I begin to go through scripture and I begin to find things that belong to God, that God said belong exclusively to him and to him alone. And there are some things that belong to the selfish father that you don't get to have. And you don't get to use. And you don't get to take a hold of it. I began to go through scripture and the first thing I found that belongs to him comes in Isaiah 42 and 6 where it says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to any graven images. The word glory here means the weight of the splendor or the magnificence of God. It's not in the same context as 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 where it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not that interpretation of glory, but it is the same interpretation as Psalms 29 and 2 where it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, the Israelites are getting ready to cross over into the promised land. God knows they're getting ready to cross over into a land that's flowing with milk and honey and has all of these great things in it. But he also knows they're getting ready to cross over into a land that has a lot of other gods and a lot of idols in it. That he knows that it's going to want their worship and want their praise and going to want everything that they have. And so before the Israelites cross over into this land that they've been promised so long, God says, before before you go, I know where you're going, but I want you to hold on just a second because I'm going to give you ten commandments before you go over because I know in the land you're getting ready to walk into, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to want your praise. There's a lot of other gods. There's a lot of idols over there. So let me give you ten commandments. And the first one I'm going to give you is this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because I am a jealous God. And I better be the only thing inhabiting your praise. 
So before you cross over that river and you step over there, you'd better remember that the glory belongs to me. It don't belong to any other God. It don't belong to anything else. But the glory belongs to God. And he said, I'm not going to share with anybody. I, it doesn't belong to anybody else. You can't touch it. The glory belongs to me. And so I started to learn. Before I give glory to my checkbook, before I give glory to my job, before I give glory to my circumstance, to my trial I'm going through, the first thing that better be coming out of my mouth is giving glory to him. I don't care what we're going through. I don't care what we're facing. Our job is to give him glory above everything else. Above everything else because he said the glory belongs to me. The praise is mine. I don't exalt my trial above him. Just because I'm going through something doesn't mess up my daily routine where I get on my knees in the morning and say, God, I need you to bless me today. I need you to help me today. And if you give God what is his, well, we'll get to preaching in just a minute. But you got to remember the glory belongs to him because he's a selfish father. The glory is his. The second thing that belongs to God, Leviticus 27 and 30, and all the tithe of the land. Whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And verse number 32, and concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And he feels so strongly about his tithe that God said in Malachi chapter 3, he said, if you decide you want to be a thief and a robber and not give me what belongs to me, then I'll curse you with a curse. And so even in hard times and even in pandemics and even when things don't look so good, you'd better be giving God what belongs to him. Because he said, if you give me what belongs to me, then I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing you can't contain. But not only that, then I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he won't be able to touch the fruits of your labor. But not only that, then all nations shall call you blessed. So I've got to learn to be obedient and give God what is his and he'll take care of me. But let me go a little bit further. More than that, God said, try me. And during these last two years, I've learned that the further blessing is not in the tithe. The further blessing is in the offering. And when I go further, God goes further. And when I take a step of faith, God takes a step with me. About two and a half years ago, I started to feel a shift in my spirit. I didn't know what it was. I had a great job at a great church. I was the administrative pastor of a church, seven, 800 people. I had my own office. And I, I, it was a great, great job, great people, great pastor. And I started feeling a shift in my spirit. I said, God, what is this? I, I don't really know what I'm feeling right now. And I, I just knew something was coming. I didn't know what it was. And I just began to feel like a shift was happening. And, and I felt like I was supposed to go evangelizing. And, and the doors started opening. I started to get booked. I was booked about seven, eight months in advance, and, and, and everything was going great. And all of a sudden, March comes, or, yeah, March comes around, and I'm getting ready to launch into full-time ministry, doing this all the time. And all of a sudden, my first weekend that I was going to be a full-time evangelist, here comes COVID. And I'm like, oh, Lord, if this is you, you're going to have to really come through for me. If this is really you, I know you're going to take care of me. If this is really what you want me to do, then you're going to have to start making some ways here. And I made up in my mind, okay, God, if this is, and pastors started calling, and if you're an evangelist and pastors start calling in the middle of a pandemic, you really don't want to answer your phone because more than likely what they're going to say is, we'll have you back soon, but we just can't do it. We'll have you back in eight or nine years when, you know, when things kind of get better again. And you just don't want to answer your phone. But I said, okay, God, if this is you, I'm going to try you. And I begin to give more than I've ever given before. 
I began to send money and offerings to evangelists that I knew needed it more than I did. I increased my global mission. I'm not telling you to, to, to tell you what I've done or anything. No, no, no. I'm just telling you I begin to try God. And I found out that when you take a step of faith, God takes a step of faith with you. And when you give God what belongs, come on somebody, when you give God what belongs to him, he'll take care of you. Some of you are wondering why you just can't get ahead financially. Are you giving God what belongs to him? Some of you wonder why you're always struggling with debt. You need to get out of that cycle and you need to start making sure you're giving God what belongs to him because he said the tithe is mine. The glory's mine. The tithe belongs to me. The third thing that belongs to God. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Verse number, Revelation 2 and 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The word angels here translated literally means messengers or pastors and the third thing that belongs to God is the man of God the glory is his the tithe is his but you'd better never forget the man of God belongs to him and so you'd better, I didn't tell him I'm preaching this or anything tonight, but you'd better be really careful when you let something come out of your mouth that goes against the man of God You'd better be really careful when you let something get in your spirit that gets crossways with the man God has called to this city and to this church. You'd better be careful when you let some word or some thought come out of your mind and your mouth that goes against what belongs to God. Hey, Pastors have faced enough over these last two years without somebody coming up to them and telling them, well, pastor, I just don't like this, or I think it ought to be this way, or I think you ought to, no, 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 no. Pastors need somebody to come up alongside them, even on a Wednesday night, and say, pastor, I want to see revival so bad, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I want to see a move of God so great in this church and in this city, I'm willing to go wherever you go and do whatever. There ought to be a lot more hands clapping on a Wednesday night. Pastor, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. Pastor Stan, you belong to God. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about what the future holds. Don't worry about what's happening around you. You belong to God. God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your family. He's going to take care of everything around because you belong to him. He doesn't belong to you. He belongs to him. And God's going to take care of him. I feel a boldness. Don't you sit there when your pastor gets up to preach like a bump on a log. You just, no, no, no. You get up and clap your hands as loud as you can clap them. You shout as loud as you can shout. Because when that man of God speaks, he's speaking from God. God is not so far removed. He will not open up the earth and swallow you up when you begin to talk against what belongs to him. Come on, Korah. The glory is his. The tithe is his. But you better never forget the man of God belongs to him. The fourth thing that belongs to God the one evangelists love to preach on because it's the one where we inflect our voice and 
the job of the evangelist to come in and build faith and get behind the pastor, get behind the church and help in whatever way they can. And this is the one evangelists love to preach on, even on Wednesday nights, because Psalm 62 and 11 says, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this. They have it on the screen, Psalm 62 and 11. God spoke once and twice I've heard it. Power belongs to God. Come on, now we're Pentecost. We love verses like this. We love talking about the God who has all power. Pastor was talking about it earlier. When you speak the name above every name, all power in heaven and earth begins to formulate in that name that's matchless, that name nothing can touch. That Come on, when you say the name of Jesus, you've got all power. You can lay hands on somebody and say in Jesus' name, and they can be healed. Even on a Wednesday night, you can lay hands on somebody and say Jesus' name, and all of a sudden transformation can take place. I'm thankful tonight I'm serving a God who doesn't have a little bit of power, doesn't have just a little bit of, no, 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 no. He's got all. Let me preach evangelistically for a minute. You've come too late to tell me he doesn't have power. You've come too late to tell me he can't raise the dead. I've seen him raise the dead. I've seen the blinded eyes open. I've seen the deaf ears unstopped. Hey, we're serving a God who has power. Come on, power here means boldness, loud might, strength. And when I say the name of Jesus, anything can. Come on, are you thankful you're serving a God who's got power? Come on, are you thankful you're serving a God who's not like any other God out there? No, 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 no. When I say his name, anything is possible. Anything is possible because all power in heaven and earth is given in that name. Come on, clap your hands tonight if you believe you're serving a God that's got power. Come on, just take 30 seconds right now. If you believe he's got power, why don't you lift your voice? Why don't you clap your hands? Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, I'm serving the God who can help me out of my trial, who can walk me through hell, who can take me where I need to go. He's got all power. The glory is his. The tithe is his. The man of God belongs to him. Power belongs to God. The fifth thing that belongs to God is where I will spend the majority of my message tonight. Because in Deuteronomy 32 and 35, it says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them make haste. We're reminded of it again in Romans 12 and 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. The glory is his. The tithe is his. The man of God is his. Power is his. But vengeance is also his. David is king. His own flesh and blood. His son Absalom wants to take the throne from his father. He wants to take the throne so that he can sit and reign in David's stead. And so he does everything in his power to try and remove David from the throne. The Bible begins to speak of the tale of Absalom and how he wants to push his father out of the way so that he can now reign over Israel. And the Bible says he begins to do things that we would consider not good. The Bible says Absalom goes... 
and he stands by the gate and he begins to talk to the people of Israel. The gate was where the people would come and they would begin to bring their problems to the king and the king would hear them and the king would begin to talk to them. And if they had something going on in their lives and they wanted the king to hear about it, the king would go and sit in the gate and there they would bring their petitions and their needs and their concerns to the king. David is away mourning for what Absalom has done and Absalom sees a prime opportunity and goes and stands in the gate and there he begins to listen to the petitions of the men of Israel. He begins to say things like, don't you wish you had a king that could come and talk to you and hear your petitions and hear all of your needs and hear all of the things going, don't you wish you had a king in the gate that could sit there and listen to everything going on in your life? Don't you wish you had somebody who could talk to you about what's happening? Why don't you tell me? I'll listen to you. I'll tune my ear into what you're trying to say. I'll listen to you. And Absalom stands in the gates and begins to listen to the problems and the petitions of the people of Israel. And the Bible says so strong is his influence and conspiracy that the Bible says he begins to turn the hearts of the men of Israel. He begins to influence them and his conspiracy is so strong. He begins to turn their hearts toward him. Let me just stop and say you got to be careful who you listen to in the gate. Be careful who you amen on social media. Be careful who you, who you say, oh, that's awesome. And you go ahead and like the post when in reality it doesn't make you. You got to be careful who you listen to in the gate. And he begins to turn the hearts of the men of Israel towards him. David sees what's happening and he says, I will not stay where God doesn't want me. And the Bible says that he takes his mighty men and David leaves thinking, God's the one who put me here. I didn't try to get on this throne and if God wants me back, he'll bring me back back. And so David sees everything that's happening, takes his mighty men, and he leaves. Absalom sees his father leave and sees, yes, the time is almost here that I'm going to sit where my father sat. I've got rid of David, and now I'm just that much closer to sitting on the throne. I'm that much closer to being in power. I'm that much closer to being where I've always wanted to be. And the Bible says that Absalom he calls for one of David's counselors named Ahithophel who was sacrificing in the nearby city of Gilo. And the Bible says Absalom calls for him and says, I now want you to counsel me, Ahithophel. And Ahithophel says, okay, I will now be loyal to you, Absalom. Let me talk to you about Ahithophel tonight. That's not so often preached about character in Scripture. The Bible begins to talk about Ahithophel the fell and how good his counsel was to David. When David had an issue, Ahithophel would come and he would talk to David and say, yes, here's what you need to do. Here's the way you need to go. Here's what needs to happen. And every time David had an issue, he'd call, hey, Ahithophel, come here, let me talk to you really quick. I need your advice. I need your counsel here. And Ahithophel would come and he would counsel David, one of David's closest friends. The Bible says that when he gave counsel, it was as if it was the oracle of God was speaking. Nobody was like him. He had never been wrong. Every time he gave counsel, it was correct. Every time he gave advice, it came to pass. He had never, it was as if God himself was speaking when Ahithophel spoke. And Absalom says, Ahithophel, I need you to come over here. I need you to be loyal to me now instead of my father. And it puzzles my mind, Pastor, why Ahithophel said, okay. I'm now going to come and be loyal to Absalom. Drops it all. He had been David's friend. And now he, he stops everything and says, I'm going to be loyal to Absalom. No more to David. Doesn't make sense in my mind why he would do something like that. David hears the news that he hit the fell, has now switched allegiances over to Absalom. And he begins to cry out in Psalms 41 and 9 and says, Ah, oh, yay, mine own familiar 
friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. David goes on to say in 55 of Psalms and 12, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. I could have dealt with it had it been my enemy that all of a sudden decided to turn against me. But it wasn't my enemy. Neither was it he that hated me that didn't magnify himself against me. If it had been him, at least I could have just gone and hid myself from him. At least I could have gone and just dealt with it somewhere else. It wasn't them. It wasn't my enemy. It wasn't him that hated me. But in verse 13, it says, Thou, he was a man, mine equal. You were my guide. You were mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked into the house of God and on a Sunday. And we said, hey, David, what you think God's going to do today? I don't know. It hit the film. Maybe he'll heal somebody like he did last Sunday. Maybe he'll deliver a demoniac like he did last Wednesday. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know something's going to happen. They would run the aisles together. They would shout together. Oh, they would take sweet counsel and walk into the house of God together. That's how close David and Ahithophel were. But David hears that Ahithophel has now switched allegiances to Absalom, and he began to pray, Oh, God, turn the counsel of Ahithophel. I know how good it is. I know when he speaks, everything is right. I know when he talks, he's never been wrong. God, I need you to turn the counsel of Ahithophel. And David begins to pray. And David had another friend named Hushai. And Hushai was loyal to David. He was also a friend to David. And David calls Hushai to him. And he says, he says, Hushai, I need you to go. And I need you to pretend to be loyal to Absalom. I need you to go. And I need you to pretend like you're on Absalom's side. And whenever I hit the fell gives advice, I need you to turn that counsel. Hushai, will you do this for me? I know how good his advice is, but I know how persuasive you are. I need you to go, and I need you to do this for me. Hushai, will you do it? Yes, I'll go, David. All right, Hushai, Absalom's going to see you coming. He's going to ask, why are you here? He's going to ask, what are you doing? Why are you coming to me? Aren't you my father? He's going to ask you all these things, but you just tell him you want to be loyal to me now. You just tell him you want to be loyal to Absalom, and Absalom sees him coming, and he says, what are you doing here, Hushai? Just like David said, and, Abs and, and, and Hushai says to Absalom, he says, I, I just, I, I can see you're, you're going to be king soon, and I, I, want, I want to be loyal to you now. I, I want to be, I want to have my allegiance with the winning side, and Absalom, I know that you're going to be king soon, so I want to now serve you, and Absalom believes Hushai, and Absalom calls Hushai to one side, and he calls Ahithophel to the other side, and he says, okay, I'm so much closer to sitting on my father's throne. What do I need to do now to make sure that I sit where my father sat? Ahithophel looks at him and says, okay, you need to do two things. First thing you need to do, go up to the rooftop and in front of all of Israel, go into all of your father's concubines so everybody can see you. All the ones he left behind, go up on the rooftop. Take them all up to the rooftop and go into them in front of all of Israel, which doesn't make sense to me, Pastor. Why? Why tell Dave, why, why, why tell Absalom, go up to the rooftop? doesn't make sense. Why, that, that's the first thing he told him. And Absalom listened to a hit the fell and he took his father's concubines and went up to the rooftop and in front of all of Israel, went into all of them so that everybody can see. But he said, the second thing you need to do is let me take 12,000 men so that I can go and cut the head off the snake. I'm only going to kill David. But Absalom, listen to me, I hit the fell. I've never been wrong. Let me take 12,000 men. I'll go kill David and him only. I won't kill anybody else. I won't touch anybody else. But I need to do this quick. I need to do it now. I've got to make sure it happens this week. We've got to make sure David dies. And it doesn't make sense to me. Why the urgency? Why, wanna, why, why do I need to make sure that... 
that David is, why, why, why Ahithophel do you want to go take 12,000 men and just make sure David is dead? doesn't make sense in my mind. I, I can't comprehend it, but he tells Absalom, you need to do that if you want to sit on the throne. Absalom looks over at Hushai. Hushai, what should I do? Hushai looks at Absalom and says, Ahithophel's advice is not good at this time. You know, you, you got to remember, this is David with his mighty men. This is the guy that killed Goliath. He's in a corner right now. He's tired. He's mad. If you go to try to take him now, he's going to fight like he's never fought before. So just take it one step at a time. Just go a little. We'll get David eventually. But right now, you just need to make sure you're just doing this the right way. So let's just take this little by little, and we'll get David eventually. But you don't need to do this quick right now. Let's just take this step by step. And the Bible says Absalom looks at Hushai, and he looks at Ahithophel. And for the first time in his life, Ahithophel hears the words, we're not going to listen to you. Hushai, we're going to follow your plan. We're going to do what you say. And the Lord began to turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness in Absalom's ears. And it doesn't make sense to me. But Ahithophel, here's the news. His advice has not been followed. He goes, packs his stuff, puts it on top of the donkey, begins leading his donkey, goes back to his house, goes back to his desk. There, there's some papers on the desk. He goes over and starts to arrange stuff. And the Bible says he puts his affairs in order. And he gets everything set, goes and grabs a rope, throws it over the nearest beam, and there in his own house hangs himself. Because he knows his advice has not been followed and it will not be long before David is back on the throne. He knows it's going to happen. But in my mind, it doesn't make sense. Why did it have to end this way? It didn't have to end this way. It did, why after all of these years would you decide at a spur of the moment decision to switch your allegiances over to your best friend's son and stab your best friend that you walked into the house of God with in the back? doesn't make sense to me until I begin to read about the genealogy of Ahithophel. And I read that Ahithophel has a son named Eliam. And Eliam has a daughter named Bathsheba. Oh, now it makes sense. Ahithophel remembers the shame this man has caused his family. He remembers when his grandson-in-law had to go out to the front part of the battle. Uriah, get out there. Get to the front where the heat of the battle is going on. You're going to die because I'm so in love with your wife Bathsheba. He remembers when his great-grandbaby had to die because of the sins of this man. And he said, there's going to come a day when I'm going to be able to get even with him. I don't know when it's going to be. But Ahithophel let something get in his spirit. And he let a wound begin to fester in his heart. And he let some bitterness get in where bitterness shouldn't have gotten in. And he said, I'm going to get vengeance on this man one day. I don't know when it's going to be, but I'm going to hold this in until I'm able to get even with this man who has done this to my family. But he forgot that vengeance belongs to God. And when you go out to get vengeance against somebody else, you have to dig two graves because you become a thief. And God said, vengeance is mine. It doesn't belong to you. Vengeance is mine. And he forgot 
about the sixth thing that belongs to God. Because in Psalms 62 and 12, I hit the foul. You forgot that also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. And thou renderest to every man according to his work. Vengeance belongs to him. But you'd better never forget, mercy belongs to him. And you don't get to choose to whom God allocates his mercy. You don't get to say to whom God decides to grant mercy. Ahithophel wasn't there. When David needed a little bit of mercy, when he went down and got on his knees and he began to cry out to God in the 51st chapter, and he began to say, I know what I've done was wrong, but God, have mercy upon me according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil. I remember Bathsheba. I remember Uriah. I remember all that, but God purged me with hyssop in verse number 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Hey, he wasn't there when I hit the when, when David got on his knees and began to beg God, God, I just need a little bit of mercy. And what are you going to do when the person you've been holding a stone in your hand waiting to throw it at them walks through those doors, runs down to an altar, lifts their hands and said, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. I've been wrong, but I need a little bit of mercy. From the selfish father, what are you going to do when that offense comes your way and it hurt and it wounded you and it marred you and it got in your spirit? What are you going to do when, when that moment comes? You'd better never forget vengeance belongs to him but mercy also belongs to him and when you can pray the prayer of Stephen while stones are being tossed down on you and you can look up and say God forgive them they don't know what they're doing God I know it hurt but I remember vengeance Everybody's standing tonight. Thank God I'm not God. Because I would have a hard time forgiving the sins of 7 billion plus people who wronged me every single day of their life. Thank God we serve a selfish father who said, vengeance don't belong to you. Mercy doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to me. Anybody need a little bit of mercy tonight? A anybody need a little bit of grace tonight? Oh. There is a key. This is where I'll end it. Musicians come. Everybody listening. There is a key to opening up the hand of the selfish father. 
Are you ready? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive your trespasses. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Anybody need some mercy tonight? Every hand lifted in the house. I'm speaking to the ones. You've been holding something in your spirit. Waiting for a moment to get even with somebody. Because it hurt. Because it wounded you. Because it didn't feel good. I'm preaching to you tonight to remind you that in the day in which we're living, God is going to do whatever it takes to see every soul saved. So the church has to lay down their weapons of offense and their grudges and their hurts. And they've got to find themselves at an altar say, God, I've been a thief. I've tried to take what doesn't belong to me. But tonight, I'm going to give him back some vengeance because it belongs to him. But God, I'm going to grant mercy to the one who wounded me because I'm going to need some mercy eventually. This altar is open. Come on, there ought to not be one dry eye in this house tonight. Everybody ought to be on their face right now saying, God, I've held on to some things I shouldn't be holding on to. Come on, it may not happen in just one service, but it may take you a week or two weeks or a month, but you got to start tonight saying, oh God, I can't be lost. Hey, you want to know why you haven't reached your God-given potential yet? It's because you haven't let some things go. I know it hurt. I know it wounded you. But God is calling you tonight to lift up holy hands and to say, oh God, on a Wednesday night, this is where it starts. This is where it begins. This is where it takes place. Me releasing the wounds. Me releasing the hurts. Me releasing the animosity towards my brother. Towards my sister. Oh, come on. That's it. Talk to God right now. Come on. You ought to cry those tears on a midweek. You ought to let some things go. Come on. I'm letting it go right now. Come on, from where you're at, find a place, find a place. You got some soul searching to do. You got some things to let go of as they begin to sing. Everybody talking to the selfish father. <laughs> 